Corktown and its other half, just north of I-75, North Corktown, they are about to undergo a profound economic transformation, of course, with Ford Motor Company moving into the long-neglected Michigan Central Station. Uh, those who live in the area, of course, are looking at a significantly different neighborhood in the future. John Carlisle from the Free Press spent months talking with residents, but he's taking a completely different approach to the story. Culture Shift's Amanda LeClaire spoke with him about what makes this series on Corktown different from all the others that you have read about the topic so far. Well, the original idea was to do a story about Corktown and how Ford's purchase of the train station is going to affect people who live there. And rather than do the usual thing, which has kind of been done to death since they made that announcement, I thought to do something different, I would do seven short stories. And instead of doing them journalism style or newspaper style, I would write them as if they were short stories in a, in a book of fiction or more of a literary style, like a collection of short stories about something. So they're not written quite like your typical article. And so, for example, one story is about two people waiting for someone to come to breakfast one day. And that's the whole story. There's nothing else to it. Another story is written in reverse. So it starts now, but it ends 15 years ago. And it was just a matter of just trying to have a little bit of fun, trying to play with the way to write it, and just try to do something a little different. Because nowadays, most articles are kind of written in a kind of dull tone and nothing too creative. I don't know if journalists are just scared to step out nowadays or what, but um, they always call us fake news, so I figured, what the heck, I'll write it like fiction. You talked to a lot of residents of Corktown and North Corktown, so how did you narrow it down to these seven scenes? It was very tough. We drove around, uh, knocked on doors, which is kind of our usual way of doing things, and a lot of people didn't want to talk. Some of the people who did want to talk turned out to be crazy. A lot of people, you know, it's a lot to go to someone's door and say, can we spend a month with you taking pictures of you all day and night and video and following you around. And it takes a certain kind of person to be that open. So uh, we finally narrowed it down to seven people. But we had some fall through. We did full interviews, and then they changed their minds. We had a guy who drives around North Corktown with a gun. He's a self-appointed neighborhood watch. And he implied that he's used that gun before. But at some point it dawned on him or he talked to someone that maybe it's not the best idea to go public with this. So he said, I want to withdraw from the project, which you know, it's kind of a drag after spending a week with the guy. Um, so it's always difficult. You have to get people in the right mindset, but it, it was totally random and just trying to get a good balance of demographics. So people who are in favor of Ford coming, people who are against it, uh, rich, poor, black, white, male, female. It, it, we were just trying to get a good blend, and I think we achieved it. I think a lot of times when we write about neighborhoods that are on the brink of some very significant change, we talk about it in a way that we will be losing some of these residents will be losing a way of life. But some of the folks that you have talked to, uh, their lives aren't that great anyway. And their houses are falling down, are infested. For those people that you, you spoke with, when they think about the neighborhood changing or their lives changing, are they looking forward to it? Yeah, it's a real mix because you've got some old timers who've lived there forever and their houses aren't worth a dollar. And they think that because land values will go up, they expect somebody to come to offer them money and give them the chance to move elsewhere. And they're thrilled about that. And then we've got other people, for example, urban farmers who moved here because of all the empty land in the area. And they deliberately moved here for the peace and quiet. And now there's a chance that they're going to be surrounded by lofts and condos and a lot of busy activity. And those are the people who really don't want the neighborhood to change. They've moved here because of its solitude. And now all of that uh, might not be the same soon. Out of the people that you talked to, whose story affected you the most? Well, you know, there's one woman that stands out and, and it kind of 
speaks to how we did this project. You know, I wanted to do these stories so that even if you took out the Corktown angle, these stories could stand on their own just as human interest stories. And so we met a woman who is an elderly shut-in who lives in this crumbling house, and out of loneliness, she invited homeless people to stay with her, and they moved in and took over the house, and now they won't let her leave the kitchen. She can't really walk And so she's confined to this dingy kitchen and sits at this kitchen table, chain-smoking all day, staring at the landline phone in front of her, waiting for someone to call and check on her. And no matter where that story occurs, that's a really sad, tragic story that can stand on its own. And uh, that one was definitely, uh, that impressed us a lot or it touched us a lot. I don't know how to put it. It was really messed up. The house is full of bugs and it's crumbling and the people in there are really mean to her. And it's uh, a very sad story. And even in that one, we didn't even mention Corktown until I think the last two or three lines because the story was so strong on its own that we didn't have to um, bring the Corktown angle into it. As you're describing this, it really reminds me of, um, of James Joyce in Dublin and the stories he would write about the inhabitants of that city. Who did you take your inspiration from as you were writing this series? You know, I just thought of how cool it would be to write these, like, short stories, and I was rereading J.D. Salinger's uh, Nine Stories, not to get too deep into the literary woods or get pretentious, but I just it was really cool and fun to read how, you know, you could write a story about two people talking for an hour, and that was a whole story, or you could write it without big leads and headlines. And, you know, like I said earlier, most journalism now, every story reads the same. You could line up three or four stories by three or four different people, and the average person couldn't distinguish between them or say who wrote what, because there's not much voice or much difference between them or much experimentation, and I really just wanted to do it as if it was uh, a literature project. You know, you look back at the free press of the news in the 60s and 70s, and it was so lively, and every story was creative, and Sometimes there'd be poetry in it or sarcasm, and everyone had a voice, and now it's all just kind of flatlined. I don't know if journalists are just so scared now or it's just become the norm, but uh, I just thought for a change of pace, it would be nice to do do this a little differently, present it a little differently. It'll be really nicely packaged online, but on Sunday, it's supposed to be its own special section, which should really bring home the idea of it like a collection of short stories that you can take with you and read it and come back to it. There will be seven short stories on Corktown. You can read them right now at thefreep.com. Freep.com. That was John Carlisle from the Free Press on Culture Shift. Culture Shift.